From the Vaults, audio from Edmonton's past. This recording consists of an interview of Edith Rogers conducted by John McIsaac on October 12, 1982. This material was recorded on a 5-inch open reel tape and was digitized by an archivist on February 4, 2021. Our interview today is with Mrs. Edith Rogers. Mrs. Rogers, may I ask uh, when and where you were born? Well, I was born in the year 1894 in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. in uh, Upper Stuyak. That was in Colchester County. How was it that you came to Alberta? Well, I had taught for two years in Nova Scotia, and uh, my father's sister was out here in the West, a family by the name of Redmonds. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were five Redmond brothers settled at homesteads down the Wainwright district, and uh, Mrs. Alfred Redmond was my father's sister. And so I came out here to visit with them, and there were very few teachers uh, at that time here in Western Canada. The schools were just being built, <clears throat> and I was only at her place about a week when a, a, a school uh, secretary came and asked me to go and teach in the school there in that district, which I did, and then in the um, in the first of the year, 1914, <clears throat> I went to normal school in Cam- in, uh, in Camrose. George P. Smith was the Minister of Education, so the normal school was in Camrose. And there were about 40 in the class, and they were, uh, they were uh, teachers from uh, Ontario, across the country, and uh, some from the United States. And uh, we had to uh, go there to get our Alberta certificate. Mm -hmm. So then I taught school at uh, Toefield and uh, again down in the Edgerton district. But in the year uh, when the war was on, uh, I joined the Bank of Montreal at Edgerton. I was a teller in the Bank of Montreal uh, for, uh, for six years. Could I ask you a little bit about those early school days, Mrs. Rogers? Uh, I presume you were taught in a one-room school and lived in the teacher each and that sort of thing? <coughs> they were one-room schools, but uh, <coughs> there was a place to board. <coughs> I was lucky in those districts that there there was a good place to board, boarding room. See, that would be with the family of one of your students? Yes, it? yes. But in those days, uh, those uh, those schools were only open in the summer months. Really? They um, uh, they they closed for the winter because it it was so cold, and it was a matter of uh, of piling coal into a big stove, and a matter of whether the roads were uh, they were just trails, and the children most of the children came to school on horseback. It was too cold. Uh, it was too cold in the uh, riding horseback, uh, so the, the schools were only in operation in the, in the rural areas in the, in the summer months. We taught all summer. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to Nova Scotia in the winter. That was during the First World War. Mm-hmm. And it was the uh, 1st of January 1918 that I, uh, I joined the Bank of Montreal at Edgerton. 
And what was your position with the bank? Pardon? What was your position with the bank? I was a teller. Mm -hmm. The uh, in those days the banks did not uh, they did were not in favor of having uh, female accountants. They seemed to think in those days that only the men could do that job. But the the uh, the war was on, and the teller had to leave. The teller had to leave and go to the war, and uh, I had only been in the on the staff for about three months when uh, when I was put on the cash. Mm -hmm. But um, I could always do arithmetic. That was my uh, best subject, so it didn't bother me at all uh, to um, to do accounting in a bank. Was it about that time that you met your husband? No, no. I was uh, I was in the bank at Tope at uh, at Edgerton for uh, four or five years, and then I was transferred to Tofield. I was in I was a teller there in the bank for about three months, and then I was transferred to uh, to Killam, and he was the uh, principal of the high school at Killam, and um, I was uh, I was in the teller at Killam there about a year. So we were married in 1923. Mm -hmm. And you stayed there until you moved to Pinoca? No, no, he was, uh, he was the principal at... Uh, we went back to Edgerton. He was the principal of the high school there for three years. Then he was the principal at, down at the Warner Consolidated High School. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, We came back to uh, uh, when Mr. Mr. Eber, we were in Calgary. We were living in Calgary, mm -hmm. and Mr. Eberhardt was uh, was speaking on the radio about the cause of the depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went down to the uh, Bible Institute. Uh, he held a class there every Thursday night all winter, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we studied uh, the Douglas system of social credit. Of course, I still think that that's correct. What Mr. Eberhardt, what Mr. Eberhardt taught about the banking system, I still, uh, I think, I, I, I think it's correct. Mm -hmm. Although I don't, uh, I don't go out lecturing on it now. But I was out. Uh, we, my husband and I, traveled the, this province for about three years and we organized the whole of the South Country and um, up here in Edmonton. Uh, he uh, operated the social credit office in Edmonton. I went out all down these lines and See, spoke every night and every night. I organized all of this northern Alberta. This was the uh, so-called social credit study groups? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, would you agree that these groups were the the core of what led to the social credit victory in thirty five. That the poor uh, were no, the, the no. Were I, I say, do you feel that these groups were the core of what led to the social credit victory in nineteen thirty five? That these study groups were the uh, the grassroots of the movement. Oh well, it was part of the campaign. Mm -hmm. That. Uh, Mr. Eberhardt was a principal of the Crescent Heights High School, and there were uh, there was very little time that he could uh, 
leave Calgary and uh, to go out and organize. And uh, <clears throat> he always came to uh, Edmonton for the month of July to mark exam examination papers. And um, then the last week in August he had to get his high school organized. So uh, Mr. Eberhardt, and, uh, Manning was, was just a young, very young man then, and, but uh, they went out and addressed as many meetings as they could, probably uh, during the three, first three weeks in August. But he, he was speaking from the radio in Calgary, and that went down to the border, and it went east and west, and it came north as far as Red Deer. But north of Red Deer, uh, they could not hear his broadcast. So some, and even if they did hear the broadcast, somebody had to go out and organize them. Was were these broadcasts separate and distinct from his uh, Bible broadcasts, or were they one and the same? Well, he gave those broadcasts on Sunday afternoon for two hours. Uh, um, Yes, it was along with his uh, Bible prophecy. Mm -hmm. I have a copy of one of his sermons here written in his own handwriting. Really? That must be a real treasure to you. Uh, he, wrote, uh, he wrote everything uh, with, his own, uh, with his pen. Mm -hmm. He wrote out uh, his sermon. And I was up here and there were some questions some questions um, I was I I was not sure of, and uh, he sent me his broadcast. I've kept it. It's written with his own handwriting. Mm -hmm. I I have I have these drawers just full of this social credit stuff. Now, were you uh, paid to go out and organize all these people, or was that all volunteer work? It was all volunteer. No, we never we were never paid anything. Mm -hmm. Did they at least look after your expenses? No, we took up a collection. Uh, of course, we had our own money to start out with and our own car. Mm -hmm. And uh, we took a collection at the meetings, but $5 would be a big collection in those days. But we could get a room at a hotel for $1, and we could get a dinner for 25 cents. Hmm. It, uh, we did, did not require much money. And we had no Model T car, and it didn't burn much gas. You say, uh, Mrs. Rogers, uh, we, were you traveling with your husband at that time? Yes. I see. So, Well, during the first uh, months that we were out in the southern part of the province, Joe Unwin was with us. Mm -hmm. It really required two men, uh, one to drive the car, and uh, we had a, I had a big, um, chart we had to put up, you know. I have the chart here. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in 1935, you ran on the social credit ticket in Pinoca. Yes, I was invited to run in six different constituencies. See, even though you were living in Calgary? Yes. So I was invited to run in Calgary, but I didn't need to run there because there were several candidates there. Mm -hmm. But. Um, Candidates uh, were a little leery about facing the public and answering their questions on uh, monetary reform and on the banking system. It was a technical question. I see. So they were desperate for a candidate in Pinoca? Is that why you chose that constituency? Well, I was invited. 
I was invited. I was invited to be a candidate in Pinocchio. I was invited to several other places. Mm -hmm. And um, for that first uh, social credit election, there were four. There were four candidates um, uh, nominated by the constituency, and Mr. Eberhardt and uh, and a committee with them uh, went around and uh, they selected the candidate uh, mostly on the advice of the of the of the um, constituency executive. Mm -hmm. So I I decided and uh, and. Uh, I decided that I would run in, in uh, Panova. And your your main opposition in that constituency was the uh, Premier Brownlee, or former Premier Brownlee. Is that not the case? Well, uh, I felt sorry for Mr. Brownlee. I uh, I think I think he was framed by the Liberals. Mm -hmm. Did you think that then? Yes. Mm -hmm. And but uh, but uh, I don't think Mr. Brownlee could have won regardless of who was running there, mm -hmm. because there had been so much pa bad publicity. But in the campaign, I never mentioned Mr. Brownlee's name. I never said one word against Mr. Brownlee in that campaign, mm -hmm. because Mr. Brownlee had done so much for this province. You know, he uh, he was instrumental. His, uh, along with other Western premiers, of getting the ownership of the natural resources transferred from Ottawa to uh, to Alberta. He was the one that that, uh, that went into Mackenzie King's uh, office and signed a resource agreement. So I, I don't think that any... Uh, in fact, I've been thinking of writing a letter to the paper that Mr. Brownlee's name should now be put on some important public building in this province in recognition of what he had done for the province. Because even, I, I think he was framed by the Liberals. Even though you didn't mention his name during the campaign, was the scandal an issue? Did it surface at meetings and in the paper and so on during the campaign? The no. question of his morality or lack thereof? No, it was not an issue. Uh, people were in difficult circumstances financially, and and it was a new economic system, a new uh, financial system uh, they were interested in. Can you tell me, Mrs. Rogers, why didn't Mr. Eberhardt run for a seat himself during that first election? I can't answer that. You you never queried him on that, or it never came up. No, I don't know. It uh, it was never discussed uh, in uh, down at the Bible Institute. I don't know why he didn't run. It might uh, it might have been that uh, well, he was the principal of the high school, and uh, he probably would have had to resign as principal uh, to run in election. I don't know. So you you were elected on that night. Uh, in 1935, how did you feel personally about the your own personal election and the election of the first social credit government in the world? Can can you recall how you felt? Well, I uh, I had great hopes that uh, we could do something about the financial system. 
but uh, all the legislation that was passed was either disallowed by Ottawa or uh, referred to the Supreme Court and declared ultra-various of the province. But I still, I feel if Mr. Eberhardt had lived, that he would have pursued it. Hmm. Now, in 1940, you uh, ran again, but an independent uh, one. No, I didn't run as an independent. No, no, I say an independent beat you out in yes. 1940. Yes. And, and how, how come? Uh, almost everybody else who ran on the social credit ticket won. Well, <clears throat> that was on the, that, that election was the 17th of March. And there was a, a, a very large snowstorm. Now that Pinocchio constituency runs way out, way out past Rimby and way out there in the foothills. And um, groups of voters got, uh, tried to go to the polls with um, horses and big sleds. I know there was ten in one group. And uh, the horses go down in the snow, and they thought, well, uh, that I was going to walk in anyway. And there were, uh, there were, there were several that I uh, had letters from after after the election that they could not get to the polls because of the because of the uh, the snowstorm. Also during that time. I understand that you had a business in Pinocchio, a woolen manufacturing business. Is that correct? No. Hmm. I came across a newspaper article to that effect. It could have been a different well, Edith Rogers. Well, in Pinocchio, we tried to uh, we tried to establish a woolen mill. Yes. We organized a a company, but that's as far as it got. You know. No, we never. Uh, we didn't get any business going. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, how come you couldn't get the business going if you'd wanted to? What what was the trouble there? Well, I think it was it was lack of money. It would have been a, a woolen mill. Uh, what I had in mind was anything that we could do to manufacture something and uh, and provide jobs for people, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, uh, it we. Uh, it was. It did not uh, become a fact. Mrs. Rogers, you mentioned that Mr. Eberhardt and uh, some of his colleagues would travel around and would approve, or in some cases disapprove, of a certain candidate who had been nominated to run on the social credit ticket. Now, he ran as a Democrat, and a lot of people have suggested that this social credit board was anti-democratic in that the people, the members of the party would nominate somebody, but for whatever reasons, Mr. Eberhardt would overrule this. Now, uh, could, could you just comment on that, on how fair you think that is? Or Well, that selection was only in the first election. That was not continued in the second election. But uh, I have never known that he over, overruled the local uh, committee. There was a, um, in that first election, uh, the local uh, voters in a convention, as I recall it, they elected, they nominated four, 
I think they nominated four. And then the executive of the constituency and uh, Mr. Eberhard, and uh, he had a committee. And uh, his committee, he and his committee met with this, the local executive, and uh, they decided by, uh, I think, by, uh, by uh, secret ballot, I think, they decided on the candidate. Because I remember Mr. Eberhardt said to me that uh, all of his committee and all the local committee, that they, it was unanimous that they voted for me as a candidate. Hmm. He did not exactly pick the candidates. Hmm. He he and uh, there were I think three other men with them. I forget who they were, but uh, they uh, they had meetings uh, both in the northern part of the province and the southern part, and uh, the candidates were questioned. They were questioned in the nineteen forties the Social Credit Party fell out of your own personal favor. Uh, what happened there? How come you broke with that party? Well, after, uh, after, uh, after I was defeated in Pinoga, we moved to Edmonton. Uh, we, we bought that corner over there. Uh, this corner, this corner here, where that, uh, the, uh, where the uh, academy is, mm -hmm. and we were busy. Uh, we were busy uh, making. Uh, we made uh, that big place into in the self-contained suites, and we were busy. Well, across the street in that uh, that big building across the street. Mm -hmm. What's the name of that building? I forget. You mean the Lamarchand Mansion? Yeah, Lamarchand. A number of, of high school teachers lived in that um, Lamarchand Mansion. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow I met them. And they had meetings over there. And they were very clever. There was Mary Crawford who taught Social Studies Victoria High School. They were the top high school teachers lived over there in that Lamarchand and I was over there somehow and they wanted me to go into the, that was the CCF then, you see, and one of, one of them bought a, a membership for me, I didn't buy the membership, and they took me to, um, to the meetings. Well, <clears throat> they were also well-educated, clever people. I thought, I will listen now and see uh, their explanation of the CCF, the, uh, their explanation for public ownership. You know, I think it, I think it's well for people to uh, to listen and investigate. And so, I went with them. Oh, perhaps two or three years. Harry Ainley was in it. He was a smart man in. Uh, Elmer Roper was in it. They were well-educated top people, and I thought, these people aren't stupid. Now, what is this CCF they're talking about? So I, I stayed with them for two or three years, but when they got to the place that they were going to, 
to take over the uh, me the production, I had to quit there because I believe in private ownership, private enterprise. I believe in private enterprise, and they weren't clear on. Um, they talked about the family farm, that they would take possession of the grain at the gate of the family farm. And so I, ha I had to stop there because I couldn't go that far into public ownership. And I still believe that the only thing that, that should be publicly owned is the banking system. And everything else should be in private hands and let private enterprise work 16 hours a day if they want to. They work for profit, they work. They don't quit at five o'clock, you know. And uh, so that that is that is uh, why I didn't continue with the NDP. But I valued, I valued them as friends and I learned a lot from them. You and your husband bought a whole lot of other property in Edmonton at the time as well, did you not? Other than, I, I think you pointed out earlier, to 116th yeah, Street there. We bought that corner over there where the, uh, what is the name of this, on this uh, the a Academy Place. Academy Place Apartments, yes. yes. It's on the corner then, of 100th Avenue. And then we bought a house over here, um, and the people who built, built that, they had to have our land. It was a nice big bungalow. We we lived over there for about twenty years, and then we or we still own that. We moved over in this big bungalow on the but, other corner of a hundredth Avenue and one hundred sixteenth Street, right here. Yeah. So that yes, the mm -hmm. the people who were going to build that, they had to have our land, or they couldn't build. So we sold it to them. Then we moved out to Laurier Heights. Mm-hmm. I see. And did you and your husband continue to teach as well? With no, no, no. No, while we were living down there, I ran for the school board. And I was on the board for 15 years from uh, retired. I um, I can't remember dates right away. Well, the dates were I on, was I on the school board. Well, I think I think you started about 1959 or so. Yes, 1959. I was on the school board 15 years. Yes, I retired in 1974 when I was 80 years old. I was born in 1894. I retired when I was 80 years old, 1974. Yeah. Now, I was on the board 1974 to. Uh, could I ask you, Mrs. Rogers, maybe to talk about some of the years you were on that board? What made you decide to run for it to, in the first place? Well, my husband had been in the school business, and I had been in the school business, and uh, and I was asked to run. I had been uh, the president of the Property Owners Association here in uh, in Edmonton. What was that organization about? What was their purpose? Well, it was just a study of uh, taxes and so on. Did were they, were they a political force at all? I think it did. I was a. I think I was a provincial president. Mm -hmm. And uh, we didn't. 
So the Alberta Federation of Property Owners, what would they, um, they were involved, I see here in this brochure you gave me, and trying to increase parks and that sort of thing. Did they endorse different candidates in for election? I don't remember much about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was I was not going to run for anything, and there was a uh, the nomination. I think it was in the Talmatora Hall, mm -hmm. and uh, they set up a they set up a. Uh, the ones that were going to run for the council. And uh, I remember I was at the back of the hall and the man at the back of the hall said to me, uh, they're calling for you to go up to the front. And some of the uh, the delegates there who are go going to vote uh, on the uh, the slate that they would nominate for the council, they they held up the, the meeting and wanted, to, wanted me to run for the council. And uh, so I had to go up to the front and, uh, well, I said uh, I would not run for the council, but I said if they wanted me to run, I would run for the school board. They held, the, the, the voters there, the members, I guess it was that, they held up the, they held up the nomination. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ledger was in this. So Ledger ran for the council. That's how. That's when he ran for the council. Ledger was in our property owner association, so he ran for the council, and I ran for the school board. And you won that election. Yes. Now I thought maybe I I did a little research, Mrs. Rogers, and I thought we might talk about some of the issues that uh, arose during that fifteen years that you spent on the school board, and I must say. You certainly raised a lot of flack in those years. <laughs> uh, for instance, uh, one of the issues that arose now and then was the question of uh, censorship of school books. In 1963, uh, you suggested that a book called King Rat should be lifted uh, out of the schools, as well as another book in 1968 called... Uh, story and structure, because it contained a, a, a story called Defender of the Faith. Now, could we talk in general terms, uh, Mrs. Rogers, of do you think the school trustees should uh, say what's in the school libraries or what the children should read or not read? Uh, how well, I think it's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think it's their responsibility. I think the I think the trustees should know uh, the course of study and the library books. I think uh, it's their responsibility. I see. And, and despite the fact that uh, a librarian or a teacher might suggest this as good reading, if the school trustees say that it's improper, then it should, it should go. Well, I think the trustees are responsible. Mm-hmm. How about the issue of corporal punishment? You know, uh, the idea of uh, the strap. Uh, this has been banned in some places, and in other places it's still kept. How do you feel about that? Do you think corporal punishment has a place in the public school system? 
Well, I would not like to answer that question now. I know when I was teaching, I I did strap one or two, uh, but uh, I don't like it. So I don't, I uh, I would not wish to uh, make a decision on that at at this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, a little bit later on in 1965. Uh, I noticed in our files at the archives that you got embroiled in a controversy with some maintenance people, a fellow by the name of Brown and another fellow, uh, Wagner Fisher. Now, can you just tell us about that? I think it's going to be a fairly long story, but you charged that there was some dishonesty on their part. Uh, what, what exactly happened there, Mrs. Rogers? Well, there were a number of uh, the people, uh, men who worked in the maintenance department, uh, came to me. We were living down there then, I remember it. They came to me and they said that they had been uh, working for the uh, the head of that department on school board time, that they were doing work at his house and so on. So I said, well, go down to my lawyer, Harper Prowse, and make a sworn statement. That's about the only thing I could say. Well, uh, go down to my lawyer. Go down to a lawyer and make a sworn statement, which they did. A number of them. Uh, I forget now. I think about six of them. I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had not intended to do anything about it. You know. Uh, it was just. Uh, it was just. Uh, going on, uh, ongoing with the rest of the work, and <clears throat> but when the board was considering the budget, and we came to, um, I think perhaps the maintenance department in the budget, I said something about to that effect. I forget now what the statement was that I made. I didn't make any definite statement. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I, the, the statement was something about some waste or something or inefficiency or, or loss of materials or something or loss or something, something like that in the budget, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't make any firm statement on it at all. But the men on the board, they took it up. You know, I was a, a woman on that board for many years, the only woman. And they thought they were going to put that woman in her place the men on the board. So they called me down to a special meeting of the board at noon. They ordered that I go down and attend a meeting of the board at noon. And what happened when you got there? Well, I took the initiative. And I stood up and I read all these uh, all these sworn statements that the uh, Maintenance employees had made the sworn statements uh, that they had uh, worked uh, for an employee on school board time and used two more material. Harper Prowse was my lawyer, and he was sitting right here with me by the school board meeting. So I just read statements, sworn statements. That end of that meeting, they all got up and rushed out the door. And then I understand that the um, deputy attorney general suggested that uh, charges be laid against these fellows? Well, I forget who suggested charges be laid, but charges were, uh, it went, oh yes, um, 
uh, now I forget the name of the man, there, one of the trustees there from uh, Sherwood Park, well known, well known. He suggested be turned over to the, main, to the Attorney General's Department. Mm -hmm. He suggested. He was shocked. He was shocked. Uh, he said, yes, we turned over to the Attorney General's Department. And the Attorney General's Department, uh, they prosecuted. Mm -hmm. And those fellows were found not guilty. Yeah. Uh, and then they sued you for libel. And I was wondering how that case resolved. They never got to court. Really? They, they dropped their uh, suit, did they? Yes. I see. You didn't have to settle out of court, did you? Or did you? No. Uh, my lawyer handled it. Oh, I challenged them. I challenged them. I said, I want to get on the plan. I want to get on the witness stand myself. Mm -hmm. I want to get on the witness stand. I see. So you had to pay... It was just dropped. I see. You didn't have to pay them any money? Or no, no. No. I paid my lawyer. Of course. My yes. lawyer wanted to uh, to uh, put the bill into the school board, and I said no. I said I'll pay my own lawyer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, maybe some other things that you brought up. In 1962, uh, you raised a hullabaloo about the discrimination between male and female caretakers. This is where you suggested that the females were not getting the same number of holidays as the men. Do you recall that issue? Well, I don't recall much about that. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it was quite a while ago. It was 20 years ago, so I can understand your, uh, your, your memory fading on that. Anyway, you, you did defend the women employees and got them the same number of uh, of holidays as the men were getting. There was some discrimination happening then. Uh, do you recall, Mrs. Rogers, the number of issues uh, concerning the dress codes of the students? Uh, you know, at one time they said girls may not wear shorts and boys may not have long hair. And, you know, just uh, a lot of talk going on about that. Uh, what, what do you think about dress codes and, and the... I don't recall much about that either. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that children should be told what they can and cannot wear to school or how they should appear? Well, I, I think that uh, they should be required to dress uh, suitably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess the difficulty then arises on... Uh, on how do you define suitably, I guess. That, 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 that's where the conflict comes. Uh, how about uh, the foundation program? You were never a big one to support that, I understand. You know, the provincial government foundation program. Did you recall that? Where they take all the money and put it into one pool and then give it back to no, the board? I don't think I favored that. No, I think you were very much against it. Uh, how about, uh, for instance, sex education in the schools? Were you for or against that? You know, having uh, sex education in the schools. Having what? Sex education oh, in I the schools. Oh, I was opposed to that. Yes? Yes, I opposed that strongly. Mm -hmm. What was your thinking there? Well, uh, 
But the number, uh, the number of uh, pregnancies now among uh, students, uh, I I think I think that sex education, uh, making sex such an everyday affair and uh, an everyday subject, that uh, I I think I think it does, uh, uh, to a certain extent is the cause of so many um, pre uh, teenage pregnancies. Mm -hmm. My opinion certainly it, it did not help. It I think I I was opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, besides your school board work, Mrs. Rogers, you also served on the board of health. Uh, what did you do when you were on the board of health? Well, uh, the board, uh, the, the uh, a trustee from the board, uh, representatives on the board are on several of those uh, city committees, board of health and the names committee. I served on the on the board of health. Uh, I think I don't know. I forget. I don't remember now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you also served on the Provincial Junior High School Curriculum Committee. What, what sort of work did you do when you were on the Curriculum Committee? Do, do you recall? Well, for several years I represented our board on the Provincial Executive of the ASTA, the Alberta School Trustee Association, and from there we served on the uh, provincial uh, curriculum board. Mm -hmm. I was on that provincial curriculum board for several years. Did you try to get more Canadian and Albertan content in the curriculum at all? I can't recall that now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On. Uh, on some other uh, items, Mrs. Rogers, you uh, you have a school named for you in in Mill Woods. H how did you feel when you were told that a school would bear your name? Well, I was surprised. Uh, the school board they voted unanimously. It was just uh, about, uh, just before I retired, just before. About my 80th birthday, I was surprised. Mm -hmm. They all—it they voted. Of course, I didn't vote. I did not vote, but they voted unanimously, and and uh, I was I was surprised. Mm -hmm. And you you went down to the official opening of the school, did you? Well, I yes, I. Uh, they have a ceremony of grade nine. Uh, yes, I was at the official opening of the school, and uh, they have a grade nine ceremony once a year, the grade nine graduation, and uh, I'm always on the platform at that graduation, and um, they have a, a plaque in the corridor down there, and. Uh, the the um, the staff uh, select the uh, an outstanding student, and that outstanding student's name is on that large plaque that uh, hangs up in the corridor.
And so uh, I, I, uh, I am on the platform at the uh, graduation and I present the, uh, the award to the outstanding, it's, it's named the Edith Rogers Award to the outstanding student in grade nine. Mm -hmm. The student does not know until he's named. They, they keep it a secret, the staff keeps it a secret. So they, uh, the student does not know until, until he or she is, is named to come up to the platform and receive a, a small plaque that he takes home. And then uh, they give me a dozen uh, red rosebuds always. Mm -hmm. And it's a very nice ceremony. Mm -hmm. You've also written uh, some books, Mrs. Rogers. Uh, you may Well, I've written uh, this book, and I have another book at the printers, Pioneers of the West. Have you had that book? Uh, History Made in Edmonton, yes. Uh, the archives has uh, two copies, and I've read it myself. Uh, what made you decide to, to write History Made in Edmonton? Well, I like to write. You look at my table. <laughs> <laughs> I like to. I think history should be recorded. Mm -hmm. And in that book, it's mostly the names that are on the schools in Edmonton, mm -hmm. and uh, in. Uh, in, in just about all of those cases, I did the research um, and provided the, uh, the information um, for the naming of the school, although I was not the one who, uh, who performed at every school opening. There were two trustees um, officiate at the opening of a school. Two trustees do that. One does the speaking, the other cuts the ribbon. But in most cases, I did the research, uh, mm -hmm. so I had a lot of that ready. But this book that's at the printers now is a large book, Pioneers of the West. And what is it about? Obviously, uh, it's about pioneers of the West, but is it biographies? Or yes, yes. Pe the opening page is a picture of of Lougheed and Steinhauer uh, leaving the legislative chamber. And uh, Steinhauer is dressed in his uh, ceremonial regalia in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the signing of uh, Treaty Number no. Six at uh, at Fort Carlton and Treaty Number no. Seven at uh, Blackfoot Crossing. Mm -hmm. And then there's a tribute to the uh, the first Canadians, a tribute to the Indians. That's the first uh, two pages of the book. I see. And you then, worked. You worked on the book for a number of years. Three years. Really. Mm -hmm. Alexander Mackenzie's in it, and I have photographs of all the way down the Mackenzie River, uh, right down to uh, right down to the midnight sun at Anubi. Mm hmm. What Mackenzie saw all the way down the river is still there. Yeah. Do you think you'll write another book? No, no. That'll be the last one. Too much work. Too much work. Indeed. May I ask, what are you doing with your time now that you're retired, Mrs. Rogers? Well, I don't have any time. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do my own work, and I go over to the Safeways for my groceries, and I go to the bank over here, and uh, it takes me a long time to do anything now. I don't hurry. Indeed. 
Well, Mrs. Rogers, I'd like to thank you for giving me the time today, answering all of our questions, and making this tape, which gives your views on the most interesting life that you've been living. I might say that when I was on the board, the uh, program, uh, the program uh, that I was especially uh, um, interested in was the um, the uh, vocational school. Oh yeah. yeah. The money for vocational education was supplied by the Diefenbaker government. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, We built the uh, Victoria Vocational School and the W.P. Wagner Vocational School. Mm -hmm. And you feel that you you personally pushed for that, did you? Yes, yes. As soon as I knew that we we could uh, that we could get the um, the money. Mm -hmm. And and maybe you could just recall. Uh, why you felt that was such an important program to have? Well, all of the students are not academic students. And um, they deserve something uh, in their line, of, uh, their line of work. It was a technical and vocational training agreement signed in 1961 between the federal and provincial governments resulted in great activity in the construction of new facilities and the development of new and revised courses and so on. Mm -hmm. And do you think it was uh, proper to tear down old VicCom to put up the, the new one? You know, they, they had to tear down old Victoria Composite there, yes. you know, which was a fine old structure really, if you don't mind me saying so. You know, I think maybe they should have kept it. You know, maybe had the vocational in oh, the old school. I voted against. I voted against uh, the destruction of Victoria Combs at High School, mm -hmm. and uh, there were seven on the board then, and four voted for uh, for the destruction of that school, and I and three of us voted against it. Mm -hmm. I think that old Victoria High School should have been. Uh, um, should have been uh, preserved. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Well, once again, Mrs. Rogers, thank you very much for your time today. This material is a digitized audio recording from the holdings of the City of Edmonton Archives. For more information regarding the recording, please contact us by email at cms.archives at edmonton.ca, by phone at 780-496-8711, or on our online catalog at cityarchives.edmonton.ca.